it's tricky. And I can tell you right now in this market, it's tough to get key money because uh, restaurants are hot, like, you know, I think is which is great. I'm glad to see it. Um, but it's tough to quantify that number. Um, I think the value of the leases is really what that key money is all about. It's waiting on fries that you don't get it. You don't, what do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries, but all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like, ready Fuck, to go. I forgot to fire the fries. <laughs> I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in and I was like, Hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's going to be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there and the service that they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> the smiles in this room are very graceful. What do you guys got going on this week, huh? Well, actually, I had some free time finally. It was the first full work week of the, of the year, so everybody's kind of back to their routine and hating on winter a little bit. So I had a, I had a random weeknight off. I had some time to myself. Kicked down, I took a visit to Diner Brew on, on uh, 40 Division Street in New Rochelle. Went to go visit Chris, talk about you know his beers and ciders and what he's got going on. And what does he have going on? Uh, he has a lot of interesting stuff going on. It's actually a really nice space. Was that your first time over there? It was my first time physically there. Yeah, it's so a very nice space. I've spoken to Chris a lot. He's visited me a lot. So, you know, it's I time didn't want to return the favor. I didn't want to be selfish. That was my first time actually there. Yeah. And he hooked me up with a nice flight. I tried a nice sour. I tried mm. a nice apple beer he collabed with with Yonkers. Mm. Um, it was a nice porter that he poured me mm. and oh, an imperial the, uh, porterito. Stout. Yes, very good. Very good. Yeah, very good. So we're we're anxiously awaiting uh, Chris's next pick to send to us. Obviously, he sent us the Charlie Boy Brown Ale the first week, and we're gonna feature his next draft. Hopefully, one of those four will be what he sends sends us, so we can pour what he wants you to drink. This, at the restaurant. This is my favorite season, I think, for beers at the end of the day. Um, those browns, those porters, those stouts, you know, the oatmeals, all that. I'm ready to light candles, turn the lights down low, and set the mood. Uh, that's what. That's how I feel come this part of the season. I'm just kind of waiting for summer. I could care less about all that other stuff that you just said. But You've got a long way to go if you're waiting for It's summer. not that far. We're almost there. You know, like they'll really. start releasing the spring seasonals next week and then we're in the summer somewhere else. The only nice part about this part of the season is that I have extra time to do some things because Monday and Tuesday kind of suck. And Are you serious about spring seasonals come out in the third week of January? February, middle of February, boom. All right, well, you've the, got two more weeks of January. Yeah, the cash sheets, I'm sure, reflect that uh, we're in the slow season here a little bit now, huh? Uh, yeah. They, they reflect not a lot, which is not good. <laughs> so with, with that said, though, too, you know, we, we were having a discussion here about how can we capture more audience or get people excited in these time periods where things slow down, right? How to make the best use of your off hours or your off season. In your restaurant space or your mm -hmm. bar space or, you know, whatever the space is that you're looking to occupy where there's less people frequenting it than you're used to. Uh, and a lot of those different ways are just easy. You just have to do it, right? It's a matter of actually putting an idea into a solid platform and saying, hey, we're going to execute this now and we're going to bring up our cash sheets as a result. For sure. I mean, the big thing is to not get lazy, which is kind of easy to happen when, you know, the business slows down, there's not much to go on. Right. You know, you say, like, I'm, a, I'm just going to take a bunch of time off and not work on it. And then that's how you start, you know, getting into some trouble. You know, you can't get lazy in the off season. You definitely take a vacation. This is the best time to take a vacation. By far the best time to you take know? a vacation. You know, so I'll be out in Tampa in t for a week in February, you know, and I'll get out of here. But, you know, the 
the thing to capitalize now is while we have time is to get creative and look at ways that we can, you know, create new values or new experiences for the customers, test them out in the next couple of weeks before the weather turns and everybody starts coming out again. You know, you get that first nice day when it's like 60 degrees and everybody thinks it's 90 and goes to the beach. But speaking of, it's supposed to be like 60 degrees this weekend. It is supposed to be 60 degrees this weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, Unless you're in Cali, then you're enjoying beautiful weather year round. Well, Which um, none of us are, so we don't have to worry about that. They're cheating. The the one thing that I really tried to put into effect uh, a couple years back, and keep in mind, I'm I'm very bar focused as far as the the restaurants and, and bar scene goes. We had such an empty space during the day. Nobody was really coming into this one bar that I was working behind at some point, and I brought up this great idea where I said hey, why don't we just start a bartending academy here in this reputable bar area where it's known for high volume and guys could actually get some real hands-on experience behind a real bar and not something in, you know, a a local, hey, we're going to give you a certificate at the end of this bar training and now you know what's in a Manhattan. Now you know what's in a Pina Colada. Now you know these things and you don't really get that that full hands-on experience uh, I think in these outdated platforms where guys are trying to teach people how to become bartenders. So the idea was to start this bartending academy in this place during the day where you could wind up selling a spot to learn how to bartend through a full uh, course, if you will. And then you could present that to other bars when you want to go get a job and say, hey, I learned in this reputable space, in this high volume area, do you want to hire me? which I think would up your chances significantly versus somebody that goes, hey, I learned at the Bartending Academy. Check out my certificate, Just mm-hmm. Bartending Academy, check out my certificate. That basically says I've never been behind the bar ever, but I know how to make all the I drinks. I know how to shake a drink. You know, like I can tell you all the ingredients in that drink, but if you need me <laughs> to make five of them really fast on a Friday. <laughs> and pour a beer. And talk to people. Yeah. I can't do it. I'm and, going down hard. Exactly. The question is, you know, how much do these places charge? Uh, I see kids all the time in the forums and whatnot saying that, oh, they just took a course at their local uh, bartending academy or whatever they call it. And... I just want to follow up with them and say, did you get hired? Did you really struggle to get hired? Well, I think they guarantee you placements sometimes, but usually those placements are like at country clubs or yeah. something or like that. Or a VFW. Or which is, yeah, which is not the greatest. See, You know, the other thing that comes out of that is if you're just teaching random people that aren't want to bar- that don't want to be a bartender but would like to know a little bit more about what they're consuming – it's a great mm. word. It's a great word of mouth because they're going to go tell their friends, "Oh, I learned how to do this at you know whatever wherever they went." It's entertainment factor. It's entertainment mm-hmm. factor. And you say, "Oh, that's cool. Where's this place?" And you get people talking about it. How did that? How did that program work out? By the way, oh, we didn't put it into effect. Didn't execute. <laughs> we got lazy during the slow season and didn't execute the. the bet idea. you went on vacation to Tampa. You though. know, I wonder how many great ideas were born and just never executed All because like you had to take a vacation or something like that. So many of them. Uh, and you know, another place that started doing something great. It's not necessarily that they do it in the off hours, but maybe the slower days. Uh, Pax Romana, for example, they do the pasta yeah. classes. Yeah. I, I'm a tip of my tongue. I was just going to bring that up as it's well. It's like $60 per person, $70 per person. You make a bunch of pasta fresh. They teach you how to do everything. It really becomes a event to do with the friends, almost like a paint and sip would be, yeah. right? Uh, they give you a bottle of wine. They let you have a couple of drinks. You make your pasta. You laugh a little bit. Karen, Becky, and Sue all take photos of the pasta they made. And then those kind of classes are pretty trendy nowadays. They are very trendy. Yeah, 
We we did a couple of things like that. We we did. We went through a couple different programs that got people to come in and learn different things. And I think that get lets your customers, or you know, I don't like to say customers. Lets your I hate that your word. clientele. You know, it's my yeah, your, you let, the people who are enjoying what you're putting out are coming in and they're they're uh, becoming they're more familiar. Yeah. yeah, they're become more familiar with and they feel like they're you know a part of the team, which they are. Because if they're not there, then you know there's no team. Right. So. Totally. You know, and it, and it does another thing. It provides a level of authenticity for the restaurant, right? Because if you go into PAX and they're making, you know, they have a pasta making class, you know, obviously you've seen the propaganda that they're making fresh pasta. But, like, when you're actually making the pasta, you're like, yo, these guys are actually really making this pasta all the time. It's oh. authentic when you go in there. Kind of like when you go in there at lunch and, you know, you see, you know, a bunch of the older women making the pasta for the day. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Hey, they, these guys are like true, true, you know, to their to their roots. They're not yeah. just like telling you one thing and doing another. And it just makes the whole thing better. It, it really is all the difference in the world as well. Fresh pasta. Uh, it's so easy to make. It's not expensive. I'm sure Nooms, I don't know why he's smiling. You ever, you ever make fresh pasta, Nooms? All the time. But this is just turning into like a, a pasta advertisement. This, right there's now. nothing wrong with pasta. It's wintertime. Trust me, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pasta. The last time I made lasagna, I made some fresh pasta, made you know a whole day out of it. Isn't See? it bulking season? I don't know. At the gym, I don't know. I don't use those terms. You just came from the gym. Yeah, but I don't. don't I don't say bulking season. Neither do I. Why do you look at me? So, how hard is it to offer a cooking class in in somebody's restaurant? It's typically not too difficult. Um, When we did it, we were approached by WCC. They're like continuing continuing education program. WCC Um, is Westchester Community College, by the way. Yes. Um, Yeah. So they they had a program where uh, they would bring. A group of people in these people had paid for X amount of classes at X amount of restaurants throughout Westchester and then come in for the night You show them how to make a couple of dishes you end up feeding them and they just have a good time sitting around watching you and talking to you about it I mean, that's accurate. That's a, that's the way it went down So there's profit margins involved in this. Well as long as you get those people to drink a little bit Okay, yeah. because you're making I mean, money on the booth. You're making money. You're, you're, you want well, they, they sell tickets. So you're making they sell money tickets, off the tickets. Yeah, but yeah. you don't want to go crazy on the ticket because you want people to come in. Right. So you kind of want to get them to engage in some of the other things you got going on. Didn't we offer um, them like incentive to come back or something? Yeah, like that? absolutely. Yeah. You could just definitely. Hey, next time you come, um, you know, here's an appetizer, or you know, if you made something that night, you know, maybe like here's something for whatever we made, and yeah. you, you know, next time you come out, you get to. Get the whole dish without you having to do all the work, <laughs> and, and and I guess that acts almost as a loss leader to some extent. Yeah, I mean that's except you're not taking a loss. Yeah, you on don't want to take a you know you want to maybe be at cost on the whole event and yeah. then hope you can turn in some some turn liquor sales, like future or, profit or, or something. Like liquor sales or future profits, yeah. you and, know, and get people hooked on on, on a Monday. And a, a loss leader for those out there that haven't really heard that term before is something that you use to get people into the building. You're not really taking a, a loss on it necessarily, but you're really hoping that maybe somebody orders something else at full price. Uh, you see this at happy hour a lot of times when somebody has the most unbelievable happy hour of all time. You're like, this place is great. We got to go out there. We got to check that happy hour out. Uh, they've got $3 burgers or something crazy like that. You're going to wind up taking a couple beers, some shots. Now they made their money back on you. And not only that, they also filled a spot that would be empty at that specific time period, which creates the ambiance of, hey, this is a happening spot, and we got to check this place out more often. And on top of all that, you create a satisfied customer because they're like, I just got the best deal in the world, totally. and I'm going to tell all my friends about it now. Totally. Value. Yeah. 
I think that's something that people should start thinking about when they're, uh, you know, building a new restaurant or doing their own space is like trying to make sure you have a space where you could do that. Like we just talked about PAX and they have like that nice little lunch counter where they obviously designed when they built it out to like be able to do that. It's harder when you go back and you say, I don't want to charge. I want to do this class or this event, but now you got to put all your tables together yeah. in, a, in a way and kind of mess up the flow of your every, because not everybody that comes in there wants, wants to do the to kicking, be a part of cooking that. class. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they don't want their whole experience ruined because you have to readjust <laughs> everything. So because you got someone trying to make some pasta right yes. on top of where you're trying to eat dinner. So if you have the opportunity of building a new place, maybe you put that in your thought. Like, we might want to do this or have, like, a space for – or, like, a show a show place where yeah. you can either do that or do your Instagram pictures or, you know, have a class. But at least you have a dedicated spot in the restaurant that's not going to disrupt your whole – That's uh, that's thinking forward, I think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I always got to think forward. And we're going to talk a little bit Keep about – Keep that finger in the air. There you go. Three steps ahead. <laughs> Shout out to Frankie K there. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about building the Instagram account later because there's an easy way for people to get traction back in their restaurants as well. And I think most owners don't necessarily know what they're doing on Instagram. Uh, we'll cover that in a little bit. But first. All right. So last episode, Justin touched on some topics about um, building out a restaurant in terms of like vanilla box and tenant improvement and triple net. That's right, and I brushed past it to get more into my self-serving interest of what I'm actually doing. Shameless plugs. Absolutely. And a lot of words that people maybe heard for the first time or maybe you're saying, what the hell was all that you were talking about? Like, what is a hole in the ground? So, good idea. Let's bring in a restaurant real estate specialist to kind of clear some of that stuff up. And we do have Kyle and Sarah today with us, and he's really going to touch on all of these factors as he is a what? Restaurant real estate specialist. Such a sexy word. Also famous on TikTok. How'd you get into this? Tell uh, us your story. How I got into where I'm at now? Yeah. Um, so I spent 16 years in the restaurant business. Um, you know, pretty much the high school, same story a lot of people have. Bus boy. I actually was like, it was called Glass Boy was my original job. Washing glasses at a microbrewery in this awful room that was about the third the size of this room. Um, kind of just fell in love with it. After college, I was... Uh, did what I thought I was supposed to do. I worked on uh, Wall Street, Morgan Stanley, that whole whole nine yards. And then after 9-11, I was like, screw this. I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to do. Went to the Culinary Institute, and I um, went to be a chef. That's what I thought I wanted to do. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's a long story <laughs> in, in there. But um, transitioned out of that. And now I uh, work with emerging restaurant brands in helping them plan their national expansion. So from a real estate perspective. All right, good. All right, so we talked about last week a little bit. We got into us building out a new restaurant. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff that we had to look out for. And we talked, you know, we kind of brushed by the topic of, you know, the, the real estate part of right. it. And we were talking more of like the design part of it and like the things that come after the real estate part of it. Um, so I guess a good question to start with before we get into some of the other things we talk about is how is it from the real estate point of view, mm-hmm. what do you think is the best way to determine where to open or like a new spot or a second location? Obviously there's a different factors, yeah. whether it's your first one or your second one, but. So I think, um, you know, I'm a big believer on, on gut feeling, you know, uh, you got to go out and see the market. You got to be in the market. You got to feel it. Um, but these days it's actually taking a step back even for local market guys. And of course, national guys using a lot of technology to try to find these spots like geofencing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, So basically they wrap a 
you're familiar. Yeah, they they wrap a fence around around the building. They tell you where everyone's coming from based on your cell phone data. Uh, I think that's good as part of the process. I still think, particularly in your guys, if you're a hands-on operator, um, you got to get a feel for the spot. You know, you got to feel if, you, if this is your baby. If it if it's your first spot, um, you're probably gonna do it somewhere close to your house where you know the neighborhood, you know the market, or you're gonna go to a big city where you're gonna hey, this is where I want to be. I want to be in New York. I want to be in Chicago. Um, but I think a, a lot of different factors come into play. For sure. I, I remember actually reading from uh, Restaurant Man. That's a Joel Bastianich yeah, book. Yeah, I, I don't know if you read that or yeah, not. It's a great book. But uh, he, he talked about everything being like a real estate opportunity. So like something would present itself. And like every time they opened a restaurant, it was like uh, like a space would open up and they'd just be like, well, we have this much money for this space. And it was just an opportunity. And they would jump on it and kind of build the, the concept afterwards, which yeah. is different than like the way I think about it sometimes, where it's like we already have a concept and we're like, where do we go next? Kind of looking uh, for the perfect yeah. space to fit so, that yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's it's nice to have money. It's nice to have like a pool of like, right. talent where they'd be like, hey, this guy can make a, you know, a soup place. This guy could make a, a burrito joint out of this spot. But uh, you, yeah, I think in general, it's it's a different for the independent operator. It's definitely a different story. You you make you make a really valid point too, where guys that are opening up their first spot, they go into an area that they know really well. They say, oh, this would crush it here. I know this place like the back of my hand. It's lacking this. Um, how many times, though, you know, do these guys go into these spots that might be oversaturated even though they know the community and don't necessarily hit it out the park with a home run and then find another spot further further down the road that does wind up being the home run that was more the unlikely hero of a location? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of patience and a lot of, like, field work goes into it. And I think that's why, you know, you, you need to, you know, balance your gut feeling with some real data. You know, it's a lot of times that, that off-the-mark spot didn't work for some reason, but it might work for you. When a high-visibility corner spot, for some reason, no one can, can make it work there. You know, it gets stigmatized or for whatever reason. Um, I, I think that, you know... A lot of the big guys do it this way. They say, we want to be on this block. Okay, nothing's available now, but let us know when something becomes available on this block. That, that's what, it's that important to us. Um, you know, they, some guys are looking for only second-generation restaurants. You know, let us know when this spot goes out. We want to, we want to jump in there. So it, it is an individual, you know, taste, I guess. But um, it depends a lot on your concept, too. You know, some concepts have to be on main and main, you know. And that is, I guess, the cheaper route for a guy to go in and open up a bar or restaurant is to look for those second-generation spots, 100%. no? Yeah. I mean, well, yesterday, a perfect example, a guy was looking at a space for a ghost kitchen, and adjacent to that space was uh, a space that didn't have a kitchen but had more visibility on the street. And, you know, he was like, had to balance, do I want to spend 75000 to to $100,000 and build out a kitchen, or do I want to take the visibility on the street? So it's it's a lot of different factors, but... Ultimately, you got to sit with it for a while. I think so many people just look at a spot like, I would kill it in that spot. That's like one-thirtieth of what I think you should consider there. I mean, that when I hear, oh, we would kill it there, tell me why you think you would kill it there. Why, why you over everybody over the last 25 years? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, too. I think a lot of times some people or businesses are in a rush to get somewhere, yeah. but they can't even explain why they want to be there. Yeah. And, I, you know, some people have asked me before, like, what's your opinion on opening this spot or doing this or buying an existing restaurant? I said, well, what's your concept? 
you know, like a friend of mine asked, oh, there's this restaurant that's available right now, and I want to spend 250000 and buy this restaurant. And I said, okay, are you going to operate it as that restaurant? I said, no. I said, okay, what's your concept? But he couldn't explain it to me, you yeah. know? And I said, well, before yeah, you spend a quarter million dollars, you should be able to tell me in a sentence what you're going to do there. Yeah. Right? And, you know, the other thing to get into is key money, right? Mm. He's buying a he's buying a restaurant that's failing yeah. or interested in buying a restaurant that's failing. Right. So if you're not going to operate the restaurant as is, is that money even worth it? Like, how do you determine is key money worth it or should you just wait it out? So, yeah. So key money to me is if you're going to buy that restaurant as that restaurant, then that brand has a value. Otherwise, it's essentially an asset sale. How much is everything from your combi oven to your everything I'm getting? How much is that worth? And I think we all know if I tried to sell any furniture, we tried to sell any furniture in a restaurant down the Bowery, we're going to get 10 cents a chair. You know, I don't care. Right. They don't care that you paid $50 a chair for it. So um, it's tricky. And I can tell you right now in this market, it's tough to get key money. Because restaurants are hot, you know. I think which is great. I'm glad to see it, um, but it's tough to quantify that number. I mean, really, the value is in the lease. And if it's a great location and somebody just couldn't operate it, and it's in a town that you know should have a, a business there that 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 should or, or should be supporting that place and that business should be doing well, um, I think the value of the lease is, is really what that key money is all about. Do you have clients that? that may be holding off on entering into a lease, uh, maybe thinking that the economy might scale back a little bit at this point. Maybe this is a dangerous time to be opening up a restaurant where they're paying a ridiculous amount in square footage in their restaurant spaces mm-hmm. at this point, as opposed to waiting maybe five years or so and or six years if we do wind up hitting this recession that mm-hmm. we keep on you know, fear-mongering about. Uh, is that maybe a better time to go into a restaurant? I know it's hard for you to answer this question considering that we are selling spaces, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think most restaurant owners are bullish. I think that they're, a lot of times, it's, it's a little bit, a lot, it's a lot of ego. Particularly chef owners are like, no, I, I, I want to open, I need to make more money, I got investors, I have this. Uh, starting to hear a little bit more people concerned about that. Uh, about the economy and, you know, I'm planning on 20% down in sales. Uh, you know, in this local market, Westchester and Fairfield, uh, I think landlords have to get a little more realistic with the rents. You know, you want these guys to stick around. You know, maybe $60 a square foot is not reasonable. Um, but no, for the most part, I think they're more unreasonable. They're like, I, I need to find a space. And they have to, you know, some of these guys have better teams than others. Uh, but that's kind of our role. You know, I'm not just looking to get you in a 2,500-square-foot space because that's what you want. There's ones available. You know, I want, you know, if I was working with, with a restaurateur, I want them to have 10 units. So mm-hmm. I want you to trust the advice. So um, I see that as our job to sort of like, you know, you sure you guys are ready for this? Is this too much space? You know, how, how you get to that number and that, that point in your mind that you're ready for number two, three, four. Um, hopefully you have an idea that, you know, you've done it before. Um, but no, I, I think most guys are bullish and they're, they're ready to look, but you have a good dose of patience in there. You can't jump too, too quickly out of that stuff. For sure. For sure. Okay. So there's a question of, you know, we just talked about key money and pre-existing mm-hmm. places. And then obviously there's opportunities of new places. There's a lot of new construction going up and yeah. like empty spaces. And we talked a little bit about that on, uh, episode one, um, 
help me out a little bit. I tried to briefly describe vanilla box, cold shell, hole yeah. in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are we? I was like, okay. I turned yeah. the volume up on you guys <laughs> with that part. Um, yeah, so, I mean, landlords want to, you know, a good landlord wants to, typically they're familiar with delivering a vanilla box. Um, so you actually described it perfectly. You know, there, there's going to be a rough flooring in there. Uh, plumbing and electric will be brought to the site, but not maybe exactly where you want it. Duct work is maybe on the roof, or maybe the duct work is in place. It's not on the roof. Um, it can be cut a lot of different ways, but I mean, I guess are you asking should they take that versus a pre-build or like? I guess both ways. Like, how would you decide which way is right for you? And then you know, once you get into it, understanding what you're getting into when you're when you have an yeah. empty empty room, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, a. I mean, I'm I'm sure you, I know you're going through this now. It's um, expensive vanilla box. People think, oh, landlord's giving me this money. You know, that's another part. The TI landlord's going to pay for it. He's offsetting that with the rent. He's not. This isn't just free money that he's not accounting for. You're you're paying for that one way or the other. So, somebody wants a um, a lower upfront cost. So they want to take the TI dollars up front. Some people want a lower ongoing occupancy cost. So they're going to. You know, they'll, they're willing to sacrifice some of that money. Say, hey, we'll pay for the build out. Um, my general thing is, if this is something that's going to stick around, the landlord should pay for it because he's going to, even if it's a ten-year lease and you're out in five years, he still has a restaurant space that he can lease, and you know, it's all his, and you did most of the work for. So, or or you you help build up the brand, the recognition that it's a space that a restaurant can do business. But by all means, he should be contributing to that. That would be my right suggestion but you know and these days you'll see some big name chefs uh say yeah cool and they're getting it they'll say yeah we want the ti dollars to be a million dollars because i do want you to pay for uniforms uh, everything that's the only way we'll come in here we'll pay the rent you charge me more rent but i'm not paying anything to come in this space and that's that's happening now too right and landlords definitely don't want to spend any money if they don't have to no so you know the tenant tenant improvement right how do we figure out what's the best way to figure out like when you're negotiating with a landlord how do we get to that number um i generally would say one year's rent would be a realistic number um but ask for the moon you ask for everything and then have them come back um it depends on the landlord too some guys are like some old school landlords like the rent here's ten thousand dollars a month i'm not doing any work take it as it is uh, used to be a restaurant, you know, Tommy killed it back in the day. He was doing 50000 a week out of here. I don't need to do anything to this space. You get a guy in there, the grease, you know, grease trap hasn't been cleaned in 10 years. The hood doesn't work. There's no return. You know, like, so, you know, I think uh depends on the savviness of the landlord and your brand. If you're a credit tenant who has a history of, of, of paying your rent and bringing people and you provide value to his building or to the neighborhood, it's worth his while. Well, Perfectly, a big name national landlord is going to be like, yeah, here's, yeah, we understand that, that we've got to write a check here to get this done. Uh, in these Westchester towns, it might be a little trickier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could I could speak from experience. You now that it's it's def- they don't want to spend any money. They're more likely to say, don't pay us rent for six months, but they're not going to write you a check. But it's, you know, I know you know you're familiar with this conversation, but I, so I many am. guys <laughs> think it's free money. They think they're going to get a check from the landlord. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people do think that, you know, like, oh, I don't have to have any money to open up because they're just going to pay for everything. Yeah, they're going to be 300 grand. I mean, your operating expense has, like you said, they're going to build it in one way or the other. So, yeah. like, you got to kind of weigh in how much am I giving up here and can I afford it later? 
Yeah. Right. Because you don't want to be out in six months because you forecasted wrong. Right. I mean, it's like it's it's. Uh, I think that it's a decision that part of like oh, the role that I'm in now is is important to explain that to guys because they do think that it's when this is over we're gonna get a check for three hundred grand. You're like no. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. So, and they'll tell you like, I'm not paying for your plates. So this is what it is. Um, okay, so then you know you get through to that part and you start talking about that, and you're negotiating a lease. You often hear triple net inside of the yeah. lease, right? I've yet to hear somebody say where something isn't a triple net mm-hmm. lease, right? But what what does this what does it even mean? So, <clears throat> the landlord has expenses for the building that are. For his building, so insurance um, and um, common area maintenance charges, he's going to plow. Um, he can pass those expenses on to you as a tenant on a per square footage basis. So he's not allowed to upcharge for them, um, but he can say, hey, it cost me $100,000 a year here. You have 20% of the space. It's $20,000 a year for your TI, and they break it down to a square footage. So. A lot of people just was going through this with somebody. Like, how much is the rent here? Okay, the rent is, you know, roughly $25 square foot, triple net. So they're like, okay, so it's $25,000. I said, no, well, the nets are X. It's actually like $17,000. They were like, what the hell, you know, what the hell is that? So, yeah, you want to know what your total all-in rent is. So that's, you know, every restaurant operator wants to know, like, how much is it going to cost me per month? Don't give me the – that's where we kind of have to – bridge that is like our language and then filter it out to it. It's going to cost you 20 grand a month to run this place. Right. Cause that's how you're going to figure out your numbers. And if you can even, yeah. you can even do that and they adjust every year. So he has the right to, when the tax taxes don't go down, so they go up, he, you can get a bill right now. A lot of restaurant owners are getting statements from their landlords that say, Oh, why my rent's 3000. Why, why is my bill 5,200? So yeah, it, it, it pays to know. I mean, that's a whole conversation about reading the lease too, but couple of things that we were talking about too in a lease when we were talking about building it out like those you know the ti and the triple net those things are pretty common mm-hmm. you're always talking about that with with within a lease um what are some like i'm gonna call it hidden gems or mm-hmm. things that people don't think about in leases that they could kind of use to protect themselves like that they end up getting screwed on later like um if uh it's if like a septic if there's a septic in the building and something happens with that and you think it's a landlord's Mm. problem but now it's not on your lease it's your problem yeah or like hvac or something like that all those things that you think are part of the building but are going to fall on you yeah what are some things you got to look on at look into um, when you're signing a lease or reading a lease that are going to protect yourself from those things that you don't necessarily think about so my first one is the assignment and subleasing so everyone's like we're gonna kill it we got all this money together we got our merch in we got the menus we got the chef we have the location and then something happens and I don't know, can you curse? But it hits the fan, and uh, you got to get out of there. You, you can't afford it. Your family's suffering. It's a nightmare. You don't want to turn to your lease and find out, like, no, you can't. You want to know what your options are. So um, typically what happens, the language is something like um, we would get the lease. The landlord would say, you can't. There's no assignment somebody. I'm going to hold you to the 10 years regardless, meaning you leave there. He can come after you after three years. You have to pay the seven years. Now, we would get that and redline it and say, no, we want the right to bring a tenant in. You just have, you have the right to refuse them. You, can, you have to approve who that tenant is. 
they're going to come back and say, okay, so long as they're the same quality tenant that you are. So there's a lot of back and forth there, but for me, that's the number one. Because, you know, landlord wants a 20-year deal. And you're like, oh, 20-year deal? Yeah, we're going to be here forever. Uh, um, you know, that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that's one. And then if you're in a shopping center, exclusivity is another big one. Exclusivity in terms of what? If we open up a pizza shop, the landlord can't bring in another pizza shop. A lot of language in there, too, is even if we're an Italian restaurant, we want it to say, you can put another Italian restaurant, but let's say we sell mostly pizza, they can't sell more than 5% pizza. You see a lot with coffee. Like Starbucks doesn't want another coffee shop in the shopping center if they're there. Right. You know, so if you have a Whole Foods that sells coffee and you have a Starbucks, it's still, believe it or not, they're like battling out over that. I, I did look at a space with a buddy uh, about a year and a half, two years back, and it was a new shopping center that we were looking at, and they were really trying to fill these spaces hard. And we were looking to fight for exclusivity over beer taps, mm. to be the only place that could have more than 10 taps in this environment, period. Mm. Otherwise, it's just a lot of competition yeah. in there, right? So uh, I can imagine that exclusivity is something that happens often. Yeah. I mean, it's the landlord doesn't want to give it because what if... He's limiting his options by doing that. Yeah. And let's say we open up, a, like, in, let's just say a better example is a taco place. But then he has an opportunity to bring in a Chipotle... That's a more high, you know, we're talking about bigger national brands now, but like uh, he's not going to want to reject the Chipotle. So he's going to want to keep his options open. So uh, when it comes down to a mom and pop, I think your only, uh, your only bet, your safest bet rather is to start to nitpick on the sale. Say, okay, well, we're a beer place and we do 30% of our, our beer sales. We don't want another craft beer place coming here with 10 taps to do this. Or if they do, they can only have their beer sales be 10% of their so um, those are two big ones. But, you know, you, you mentioned HVAC or, or something like that. Um, you know, that, the maintenance in that stuff is usually on the tenant. You know, as opposed to when you're in an apartment and your, your heat breaks, you're like, hey, landlord, I got no heat. Um, they are not going to pay for that. If that goes down, um, your best bet is to find out before you sign the lease and say, Okay, we're responsible for it. Great. I need to see a copy of the repair log. I need to know when this was installed because you don't want two weeks from now. Like, if there's no record of that thing ever being repaired, you know, the temperature could change one degree and that thing has to work a little bit harder and then it craps out on a Friday night and you just opened. That's not an ideal situation. Yeah, not so, at all. And then it, you find out later that it's 40 grand to fix. So, um, but th those would be a couple big ones. So that would add, right? That would actually go into some of the key money things too, right? So if you're walking in and you're buying a restaurant and you think, oh, it's got AC already, it has this, and then you open and then that AC is not enough to cover, yeah, you know, to cover your space, and you're like, well, okay, well it's hot in here, yeah, and now you have to either you uh, know yeah. get a bigger one or more tonnage yeah. or it's broken or something, yeah. So those are all hidden stuff. I think now more so than ever with all this stuff, chef owners, owner operators need to be you know, have their hat on for everything. Right. So even if you don't know anything about HVAC, YouTube some videos. Yeah, learn it. Go yeah. up there with the landlord with a flashlight. Act like you know what you're doing because he's like, oh, my God, this guy's That's he's on like 100%. Yeah, but, but, yeah, me too. Like <laughs> yeah. I, when, every time we have a repair guy come in, I'm following him. And I'm like, I want to see what you do because yeah. you charge me $300 to, like, change that belt that I can go do for $12 yeah. at auto at a 
what's the auto store place? AutoZone. AutoZone, AutoZone, right? And you can go get a belt at AutoZone at 12 bucks, and I could save myself $300 just because you know how to do that. Yeah. You know, so it's like stuff like that. And it, I mean, you, you, yeah, for, for a cost saving down the line for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to know because these things are going to come up. Everyone yeah. thinks they signed a lease and you're never going to need it. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fridge guy. Yep. I'm a, I'm an oven guy. I'm a draft system tech. Yeah. I'm a, yeah, I'm an IT guy sometimes, whatever. Yeah. But. Cause you hate, you don't want to be the guy like anybody know who can repair a compressor in August. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's a lot more expensive than repairing it in February. Yeah. Right. I mean, lease stuff is like, I think that's where not, I'm not trying to pitch our services at all, but like we, you get a lawyer to read the lease and they're not a restaurant specific lawyer. They're going to look at the rent, the insurance. They may have a little feel, but you want a restaurant-specific lawyer if you can find one, get a reference from somebody. It's pretty easy to do. But then, like, our team, we have a paralegal. So she all she does is read restaurant leases all day long, and she can overlay that stuff with what this lawyer, whether they're restaurant-specific or not, and just know the market in that, like, hey, in this market, this is not possible. You know, if, if this happens here, we're not paying. As, as a team, we don't we don't allow our tenants to pay for that so that's coming out but um a lot of lawyers you know they take the 2500 bucks to three thousand dollars and they yep you can sign this lease you're right. good to go and the guy's like okay great thank you i had a lawyer do it so i'm all set no not quite. no not quite <laughs> at all so you rep uh both restaurant owners and mm-hmm. landlords right yep how do you switch hats like how do you like switch how you're looking at a situation <sighs> It's hard, man, because I have such a soft spot for restaurants. So, like, I still have a small piece of a restaurant now. Um, I Shame, like shameless plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find us at. Um, no, the I think the the landlord piece is just from a personal, a professional perspective. I like it because then the restaurants come to you, and you can vet stuff out a little bit. Um, but you know, I equally like the hunt for 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 a restaurant. You know, some. Some guys are like, I need it now. I need a, I need a thousand square foot space now. Okay, so I like the challenge of it, but um, you know, in general, I think that there, it's kind of like, you know, some days you want, you know, IPA. Some days you want, you know, Scotch on the rocks. It's, it's both. I think the landlords like to know that you deal with a lot of tenants, and tenants like to know that you deal with a lot of landlords, so that you kind of know your stuff, and you can, you know, you're not just you're getting doors open for them, and you're, they know that. The landlord can't mess with you on the lease. They can't mess with you in the TI. So I think being well-rounded in my role helps. Um, but for sure, it's landlords are like, I'm not paying them a dime. And tenants are like, oh, we need $300,000 in TI. <laughs> I think, all right, let's get going. Let's roll cool. up our sleeves. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's, an ad. that's what the day is usually like. But, uh, yeah, they're both, they're both cool. I mean, I like still being involved in the restaurants on a day-to-day. And I really see, like, my role more as, like, like a defender for like no they're not going to they're not going to sign this they're not going to do that um and i think that restaurant owners like it because they're not dealing with the salesman yeah, somebody who's throwing a bunch of triple net language at them or you know what are cam charges what's exclusivity can i sign my lease like if it snows who's taking care of the parking lot um where does my garbage go which like people never like you know you get in there you're like that. yeah <laughs> where do we put the garbage so um you know which, side note, really cool. In the South, they have refrigerated garbage rooms, which I thought was, yeah, so it doesn't stink, right? Pretty cool. <laughs> That's bougie, right? That's your yeah. Super bougie. <laughs> Super bougie. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's all, you know, it's. Cool. All right, we know you've got 
busy busy stuff going on. You got things to do, so we'll yeah. get you out of here. Thanks. You want to plug anything? I know you have a very entertaining <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> it is right. It's very entertaining. Um, do I want to plug anything? No, not at all. I, you know, obviously, if it's, social media is uh, a great way to get a hold of me. Um, but I'm I'm happy to any restaurant that's out there or or landlord uh, that's out there that would like to. Uh, just for free. I'm not even. I just generally want to help. I have a real sore spot for like the restaurant owner standing in their window, like on a Friday night, just looking out. I'm like, this poor guy, dude. Like <laughs> he's standing in front of a six hundred thousand dollar castle that nobody's coming into, and he's gonna have to leave there and leave everything there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, generally, like I spent my I spent a half hour this morning waiting for a meeting under the restaurant owner hashtag on Instagram, asking restaurant owners under that hashtag like what what kind of information can I put out there that might help you. So. If there's anything like that, I'll be happy to answer it. Cool. Where uh, where can people find you? Just so. Uh, it's at Kyle and Sarah on Instagram. Uh, I N S E R R A. Uh, and yeah, I work for CBRE. We're a national um, restaurant group. So, uh, but we're located here in Stanford. So it's only a team of three of us. Sounds like a big behemoth, but it's only three of us. And uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions. We will put all of your information down in the show notes so Sweet. everyone could find you and get to the website and check out your TikTok dancing and all that good <laughs> stuff, right? Uh, yeah, I can do one for you right now. <laughs> get, it, get it going. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks thanks for coming through, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, man. Right about now, Waiting on Fries Court is in full effect. Judge J residing in the case of Waiting on Fries against the Yelp viewers of America. Prosecuting attorneys are Anum Bandel and Justin Zato. Order, order, order. What do you, what do you got, Nooms? What do you got over there? All Something right. good. He's smiling hard. So here's a review for a uh, local health food eatery. Um, this person clearly didn't understand what they were getting into when they ordered a salad. The review goes as follows. Can't be that complex. Eh, you'd be surprised. I bought a salad and it was $18. They charged me for everything I actually put in the salad. The protein, the cheese, and any toppings I chose. On top of this, my salad wasn't even chopped up. The salad was mediocre and should not have cost as much. I should have just drove to chop. I would have gotten the same salad with better stuff in it for only $10. The workers were also very rude. The men who chopped my salad, she just said the child wouldn't chop, had a nasty attitude and was giving me rude looks. I was very upset with this. I want to know what the rude look is when he's chopping the salad. Is that just the, I hate chopping salad? Maybe my man was just focused time? on chopping a salad. Yeah. But also, how were you not expecting to pay for everything you chose to well, put in your salad? That's the key, right? Because right <laughs> off the bat, she loses all credibility. 100%. So anything else she says is immediately, like... Irrelevant, right? You're surprised they charge you for the protein and the cheese. The they, protein is like the main component. They charge me for the protein and the cheese and any toppings I chose. Holy shit, what a ripoff. Because, you know, <laughs> proteins and cheese is free. 100%. And they just deliver that to the restaurant and then we, you know, we sell it for whatever we can sell it for. Clearly, she expected to only be charged for the container the salad came in. It sounds like it was her first time ordering a salad that was not maybe a signature salad on a wall that you just order and you get everything in that picture inside of that salad. So, like, yeah, you It sounds like it was her first time ordering anything, period. <laughs> it's, my, it's my first time eating out. First time at a restaurant, guys. And then she complains the salad wasn't even chopped, but the guy <laughs> chopping her salad had a nasty <laughs> attitude. So, wait, what was it chopped about? or was it not chopped? Which, take a pick. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. You know, people have different experiences. People have different places that they go out to. There's different qualities of life out there. Like, I've stepped into some places where I'm like, 
Oh, this is not my typical eatery. Uh, this is way too fancy for me. That's why I don't come visit you in Manhattan. Understandable. Right? I got to <laughs> stick to where I know things, KFC and Taco Bell. Okay? Right? You stay in your lane. Stay in my lane. Stay in your lane. 2020, I'm winning. I think generally the problem is that people are just surprised when people when things cost things. When things cost money. Or they're just not aware of what things cost, right? Because, you know. Well, you if, got this other one. Yeah, we have this other one. You know, same style place, also, also like a healthy eatery type. Okay. All right. And we have, uh, if you're looking to eat healthy at Midtown Manhattan prices, this is your place. For one, Cowboy Chow Wrap, it's nine seventy five. Okay, but if you want chicken, it's twelve seventy five. I made the mistake of getting shrimp, fourteen seventy five for a salad wrap with a seltzer it comes to sixteen ninety one for a quick lunch. Obscene. I'd pay less in Midtown. The food's good, but not at all at that price. You're better off going to Ka- to uh, the local deli next door where you get two huge sandwiches, and that would be less. Shaking my head or SMH, but you know, I'll let you know what that means. So, I mean, right here, I mean, nine seventy five sure. is not that expensive. Like not when you're all. talking about organic chicken, and for sure, you're not getting anything of that quality. For less money in Midtown, in, Midtown. yeah, Midtown. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a salad with shrimp and a and a drink for in less Midtown than sixteen dollars. As somebody that worked in Midtown Manhattan, how much for did you pay for your lunch? XX months, there were definitely the pricier places that were about sixteen bucks for lunch, and then I found other places that were like ten bucks for lunch, and like. I was filled either way and had decent quality. We know you stay in your lane and we're not talking about Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) no, I'm saying these various delis that are all over the place. But like this sounds like maybe somewhere that's slightly more commercial uh, than your mom and pop deli that's putting out awesome sandwiches for 10 bucks. I think I think what comes down to is people have to understand you get what you pay for. And if you're talking about organic shrimp with a fresh salad. You know, it's getting prepared. Fourteen seventy-five is not that's an unreasonable not price. <laughs> I hate, that's why I hate that O word. I, I don't go shopping for the organics. I'm cool. I don't. I don't need the organics in my life. I'll pay a little bit cheaper and, and make do with it in the kitchen. I mean, that's just you. I like fresh shrimp. Yeah. I don't know what you're buying. But. I'll, I'll just go sit the next couple of plays out. Guys, <laughs> we should probably check our voicemail. Oh, it's blink. It's blinking. Hey guys, I'm trying to grow our Instagram account for my restaurant, and I'm not seeing great results. Am I missing something? Ah, the Instagram question. The good old Instagram and Facebook routine. So then the question becomes, do you have proper content that people really want to see, or are you just not reaching the proper audience? That That is definitely the question. I mean, it's so common that you... A lot, we'll talk, right? When you're going to try a new place, somebody says, hey, have you tried this place? What's the first thing you do? You first thing you do is like, now I'm like, let me check the Instagram and see yep. what the plates look like or see what stuff is going on. I, I steer clear of the Yelp reviews because we know why. <laughs> but <laughs> but like, definitely go to the Instagram. Yeah, it's like a new website, if you will. Right? Instagram maybe is a new Yelp. You know how many people come into a restaurant just like, I'd like this. And they just show you a picture <laughs> of, you yes. know, whatever's on the Instagram. They're like, I want whatever that is, I want it. I don't know what it is, yeah. but this is what I want. It's a gigantic milkshake with about 12 sti- uh, Twix popping out of the side of it. And Unbelievably, though, that is what for. the people want. That is for, they think they want that. They end up not wanting it after they have it. But Yeah, we're, we're never going to do that again. That but was way too overkill. I think that's the key right there is, what, you know, what you're putting on Instagram, you want to match be, what you actually have to offer. What you have to offer <laughs> and what you want people to want. Yeah. You know, I've said that before. Like, we want people, 
when you're designing a, a place, you want people to want what you're serving. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to say, what do people want? Well, what do you want people to want? And that's what you're doing with Instagram. You're creating, you know, your vibe and you're creating your, your persona and your brand and all that stuff. And you're creating, you know, their desire to come in. Right. So if you're putting something that's like, if you're putting something on Instagram that they're going to come in and, you know, consume and it's not that good and it's overpriced and then they're they're leaving the place and they're like, oh, it looked so good on Instagram, but it was kind of like that $17 milkshake it's with 800 things. Yeah, it's a gimmick. And yeah. they're probably not going to come back no. to your place. So, like, you want to put your best foot forward on Instagram Absolutely. and put the stuff that you really want people to want on Instagram. Can I, I, I just say this? Have you guys seen Mount Kisco Diner's Instagram? Mount Kisco Diner has... Unbelievable uh, Instagram presence, yeah. <laughs> like unbelievable. It's so good looking. Never, never seen it. I'll have to, I'll have to check that have out. To check but it out. I, I think also what's really important with talking about social media and Instagram is to know where we're currently at. You kind of have to know where this all came from and spurred from. Uh, remember Applebee's? It's like a place that used to exist and be packed all the time, non Jersey Turnpike, right? Is that where it's at now? <laughs> uh, with, with that said. You know, this was a time period when anything could be put out and nobody really knew what anything looked like. They didn't know what to compare anything to. And part of that's because our phone cameras weren't that great. And there was no Instagram set up where people could take these beautiful photographs where others could see them. And all of a sudden you started seeing Applebee's kind of fall off. And with that being said, people were starting to see that there was more out there that they could spend their money on that they've worked hard for, mind you. And they want to get a better, uh, a better bite or a better drink or a better cocktail, which now that's where we are now, where everybody is expected to uphold the same standards of putting out these beautiful photos. You know what they also want is they want to be able to eat something or enjoy something that they can show to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I'm just pulling up this Mount Kisco Diner Instagram here. Uh, it's MT. Kisco with a K, Diner. And, I mean, they've got 61,000 followers here, 856 posts. Uh, they've got hashtags all over this thing. They've got beautiful photos. They've Talk got grilled ratios. cheese being opened up by the hand and gooing all over the place. Like, this that, is something. Some, someone is doing a very good job with running that page. They're doing an extremely good job. Uh Another thing to look at, too, is that their views are there on these videos. The yeah. views are 12,000 views on their 61,000 followers. So like, yeah, people are watching this. They're taking notice. They're probably checking out the place as a result of it. And 100%. There's, there's other restaurants that are saying, hey, that's the competition. We can't let them get too far ahead. We need to step our game up now too, or we die. That's it. Yeah, and the and the biggest thing to do is you can't just make an Instagram, make a post and think that it's going to, you know, it's going to go by itself. No, you we gotta, can't. You got to put your time into it. So if you're going to make an Instagram, you make a post, you should get on a posting schedule so that, you know, it's kind of regular and the people that are following you kind of get you used to how you're posting, like maybe one time in the morning. You and I used to talk about that. If I can bring up one other place, Fortina, their Instagram page is unreal. Beautiful. Yeah. It's you used to wake up and just see a Fortina post as soon right. as you woke up. As soon up. as you woke up. You want to hit people when they're commuting in the it's morning. consistency. Yeah. When they're thinking about lunch, when they're, le when they're thinking about leaving work and where they want to go, you want that to kind of pop up. So you have to kind of have a schedule. Like I'm going to make a post at 7 a.m., 11 a.m., yeah. 4 o'clock p.m. And then stay on that all the time and throw maybe throw a story here. And it's whatever. not about just making a post. It's got to be a quality post. It's got to be something that people are going to want to see. And something that you want people to want again. Mm -hmm. So when they come in your restaurant and say, I want this, it's actually one of your, 
you know, premier items that you're selling and it's not like some random piece of cheese. Quality. Quality is the big word here, right? And quality. and bigger than just quality, it, it's quality and quantity of the posts that need to go up to keep this growth uh, operating substantially using hashtags within those posts, right, Just Yeah, I mean, you just heard Kyle talk about his use of hashtags earlier. You know, he's to waiting. To find, right? To, yeah. to find to restaurant find, owners? To find restaurant owners. That's what he was using it for. If you're a restaurant, you want to find your, your diners. You want to find the people that are going to come in. So, you know, you got to find that hashtag that makes sense and maybe search it, like some pictures in there, make sure you're putting that same hashtag in there. So, and that's how you grow. Show up in all the different searches, not just just people looking for your restaurant. I, I location like, is key too. You want to make sure that you're tagging your location. So if people are in the town, they're in a town, they just hit the location and look through pictures that happen at the location, they'll find you out. And that's 100% correct. And I like to say too, if it's quality and quantity for the posts, you do need quality over quantity for the followers because you want to make sure those followers are actually somebody that can get to your restaurant, right? right. They're not in Hawaii. They're not in Russia or China. Exactly. If you're in New York and a guy from Hawaii is like engaging in every post. I mean, that's great. He's going to tell his friends, but he's he's not actually coming to the door. Yeah, he's probably not going to come in. So, you know, that's definitely something you want to be on top of. So what do we say? It's it's consistency that you need to put out there, right? You do it every day, three times a day. Engagement. Engage with the followers that are making comments on your place. You also then, kind of do a good job about that, offering those thanks. like little contests and Great the stories job. to the yeah, the, getting people to yeah. jump in on something. That's like another that. factor. Is yeah, r- run a contest, get people in the door, tag a friend, yeah, you know, exactly. Like and all that. of a sudden, you're seeing you're growth. Getting, you're getting eyes come in, and you've done nothing. I don't have sixty thousand followers, but you know, <laughs> no, but we'll we're get building there. there. We're getting there, right? Yeah. And then the last thing you want to do is uh, research what's doing well for you. So if you see like some posts are working. You know, maybe you have a post of like your staff, you know, eating something or sharing like a drink for the night. And you notice that pictures with your staff are getting better engagement than just pictures on a plate. You know, then you maybe you want to play a little bit more into that. You want to keep doing what works. Keep doing what works. Oh, the number, I think the number one tip also that I see people that don't understand. People like people. Instagram. uh, People that don't understand Instagram don't understand is that stop taking photos through the Instagram app. It does not take a good quality photo. <laughs> you need to take a photo through your phone's camera app and then upload it to Instagram thereafter. Words that's how they get books. these beautiful photos and not something that's blurred and slightly pixelated and downsampled automatically. Or hire somebody to take a bunch of pictures. Sure, yeah. It, or nowadays you can take a bunch of pictures with a real camera and just upload them yeah. on your iPad or whatever. Totally. Yeah. If you do all those things, I think that you'll see consistent growth, especially considering you've already built the castle. People will come. People will come, Ray. Speaking of which, I got to go. Oh. Good talk. See you If you there. like what you heard, smash that like button because, you know, <laughs> algorithms. <laughs> <laughs>